Oh my god. Anyway, let's go, girl. So let's go, girls. What if I started the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I just like insert the Shania Twain bit. Let's go, girls. Let's go, girls. Welcome to Readers Digress, the podcast where we read nonfiction books so that you don't have to, unless you want to. I'm Kate. And I'm Molly. And today I'm going to be telling Kate uh, about an article I read. And I'm not going to say what the topic is yet because it's a surprise. And I've been teasing her with it for no good reason, just because it's fun. Um, but you're going to find out too in just a second. <laughs> you haven't told me anything about this. So I have, I have even no even hints or anything. Yeah, which I feel like usually, well, in the past we've been doing, you know, we each read the same book or articles and then we talk about them. Mm-hmm. And then we started doing a little bit of a back and forth, but the other person would still like know what was coming usually, I yeah, think. Yeah, for sure. Like the topic and the title of the book at least. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Okay. So we've just been busy since our wonderful European <laughs> I forgot tour. how our podcast worked. <laughs> I mean, we haven't done one of these since forever. It's been a long time. <laughs> well, I had planned to do a book, and then when I told Kate what it was, she said, oh, cool, I've actually already read that. And I was like, blech, I don't want to do that anymore then. <laughs> and I threw that idea in the trash. <laughs> and the book. I set it on fire in a dumpster right. behind my house. Because right. <laughs> I love book burning, everybody. <laughs> Um, anyway, I just was like, well, okay, maybe I don't want to do that. And what I really wanted was something festive because it's now Mm -hmm. December and this episode is going to come out sometime in December. And I just wanted it to feel like holiday season. And I was on my Instagram as I am 100% of the time. (laughs) And of course, of course, I, I follow this baking account and it's too uh complicated to explain all of the different accounts but that account led me to an account called cake scene which is a instagram account that's for a magazine called cake scene and that magazine is um let me read what it says about it cake scene is a hedonistic exploration of history pop culture literature and art through dessert the second issue, that's their, you know, second issue release, Wicked Cake explores the sinister side of sweets, the whores lurking beneath the buttercream. So <laughs> Whoa, interesting. Yeah, okay. It's, it's basically like a magazine or a journal, depending on how you want to think of it. And it has collections of poems, essays, and recipes because it's all about cake and dessert. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found an uh, essay that had been published outside of that journal by one of the people featured in the uh, this issue, Wicked Cake, called I'd Read Her Grocery Lists, and it's about Sylvia Plath. Okay. So the, it's a little confusing, but the essay that's published inside of Cake Scene is called Inside Sylvia Plath's Oven, which is both dark and fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then there on LitHub, there is an, I think it's like an excerpt of the essay. Maybe it's like a portion of it, or maybe it's like a modified version of it called I'd Read Her Grocery, li- grocery Lists. And okay. both of these essays are by Eliza Jemay. And um, I hope that is making sense that like I've read one that isn't in the magazine fully, or it's like a partial excerpt from the magazine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Gotcha. Yeah, but I wanted to uh, cite the magazine because it sounds great and I want to get a, a copy. Yeah, for sure. That sounds fascinating. I would love to see what other poetry is published in there. Like, it just sounds like a really interesting theme. Yeah, it it I think so too because it's like each one of their issues is called cake scene and they're all in this like uh looking through life through the lens of dessert I I believe should at all times. Yeah, 100%. So, <laughs> I was very interested in it and the reason I feel like this is festive is because both you Kate and I bake and that is something we do around the holidays and that just feels very holiday vibes to me yes Um, I'm like already I'm like envisioning smelling nutmeg and cloves like (laughs) yes yes like so we're gonna get into the holiday spirit with a little baking um mini-sode mini-episode I feel like mini-sode is trademarked by other podcasts so we maybe can't say that but I feel like there are like 15 popular podcasts who use that word though so I feel like if they're all using it we're okay I don't know us I don't know yeah, sue us. We have no money. <laughs> Joke's on you. I'm not Alex Jones <laughs> with like offshore accounts. Um, note to self, don't be so sued for a billion dollars, though. That yeah, sounds ooh, rough, it's a life but owner. he deserves it and more. So <laughs> <laughs> He does. And more, exactly. Um, take his fingernails. I don't care. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. So... I hope I've explained it well. We've we've got cake zine, which is what the inspiration of this is, and that's the overall umbrella. But I'm going to be telling you about an essay that I read that's featured in LitHub, and we'll link both the essay um, that I'm going to talk about today and uh, a link to the website where you can purchase cake zine and read more about it so that you can get the full experience. And before I dive into that, I'm going to tell you about the author so you know a little bit about Eliza, and then I'm going to talk through the essay. But before that, I just wanted to ask uh, you, Kate, have you ever read anything by Sylvia Plath? I think her most famous work is The Bell Jar. Um, I have not, unless I maybe read excerpts of it in like high school or something. But it seems unlikely mm-hmm. because my high school didn't ask us to read anything. Because so, <laughs> my high school uh, is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> truly. Uh, we never had to read anything at all. So it seems unlikely. Um I don't think I've read anything by her. I really don't know much about her except for that she is kind of known for her struggles with depression and later uh, died by suicide, Mm -hmm. if that's accurate. Okay. Um, And that's pretty much like the only things I know about her. Okay, well that's that's pretty Which much is what tragic. I about her too. Yeah, I wish like that's not a very yeah. like good way to describe like someone's whole life, but well, um, I mean I knew that she was a writer for sure, but yes, and I think specifically she's more known to be a writer of poetry, although the Bell okay. Jar is a it's autobiographical or semi-autobiographical according to Wikipedia, which you can definitely rely on 100%. Mm-hmm. Of course, um, always. No <laughs> doubts, no questioning. <laughs> no questioning that. Um, but Sylvia Plath lived in like the 1950s and died in 1963, I believe. Um, so that's just setting you in time a little bit. She um, went to college, which was pretty uncommon for women at the time. And she was only 30, I think 30 years old, 31 when she died. So just about our age, which is horrendous. Um, But she was married, and she was actually separated from her husband at the time of her death, and she had two children, a boy and a girl. And this is especially tragic, so sorry to start it this way, but her son later also died by suicide, Mm. which I think is just 
so, so sad. Um, but yeah, Sylvia Plath was a writer who I'll tell you more about some of her writing in a minute. And she struggled. She didn't get the kind of recognition or um, publication that she was hoping for most in her life. Um, meaning that she was, it, you know, being a writer is hard and she got a lot of rejection mm -hmm. is what I meant by that. So she got more recognition, I believe, since her death, which is unfortunately common. Yeah. Um, but she is a poet and I would say memoirist probably is a good way of putting it. And, uh, her writing, it focuses a lot on like her emotional distress or internal struggle, her suicidal ideations and the pressures of being a woman in the fifties and sixties, pressures of domesticity, motherhood, happiness, what have mm -hmm. you. So that's a little bit about Sylvia Plath. Um, and then we'll learn more about her as I tell you about this essay by Eliza Dumay. I think that's how you say her name. I could be wrong. Apologies all around. <laughs> but this is a line from Eliza's website. It says, Eliza Dumay is a writer and editor based in Brooklyn, New York. You can find her work in Vice, ID, Refinery29, Thrillist, Food and Wine, Taste, Travel, and Leisure. It goes on and on. Man Repeller and more. She is the co-editor and founder of the independent food zine, Non-Perishables. So she's also got a zine, which is very fun. And nice. I think that's probably how she got connected to Cake Scene. So she has this uh, essay featured there. Again, the essay that's in Cake Scene is called uh, Inside Sylvia Plath's Oven. Oh, and I didn't say this, but the reason that's kind of dark and tragic is because Sylvia Plath died by turning on the gas and putting her head in her oven and she'd like sealed off her kitchen. So that the carbon monoxide I think is mm. what killed her. Um, so that's why like inside Sylvia Plath's oven is like a little, a little dark, but we're going to understand more why that is relevant. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited. This is so fascinating. I, uh, again, like haven't read anything by Sylvia Plath, but I love this. Uh, perspective that they're coming at it from so i am just intrigued to see where this is headed okay the the reason i've been talking about you know inside sylvia plath's oven and that that is relevant is because sylvia plath actually baked a lot and that's mm -hmm. what eliza dumay's essay i'd read her grocery lists is about it's focuses on her role in the domestic sphere alongside her experiences and process as a writer so I want to tell you all about that, but I also want to ask you a question, Kate, and that's just to get us set up for this uh, deep dive into baking. So as I already stated, we're both bakers, and I'm curious what your favorite like holiday treat is either to eat or like what you're planning to bake this Christmas. Oh, oh my gosh. This is such a hard question. This is the hardest I question know. you've ever asked me on this mm -hmm, podcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, man. Okay. Well... I have like two separate answers because my okay, favorite yes. thing to bake and eat for myself is not the my favorite thing to bake, uh, have others eat because I don't think other people like this as okay. much as I do. Uh, but two things that I like a lot are the holiday seasons that nobody else seems to care about. And that's molasses cookies, Ooh, which I absolutely adore. Yum. And then um, the Linzer cookies. Oh, have you ever yes. had those? They're like the With the almond, raspberry Mm -hmm. yes. they're like almond shortbread almost with raspberry filling and then they usually have like a second stacked 
uh, almond cookie on top that gives sort of like a window mm-hmm. <laughs> effect where there's like a middle missing. Yes. Uh, I'll link a picture because that seems like a very bad description. No, that's, but... you, you're nailing it. <laughs> those are my two oh. favorite things to eat. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Something about those, they're just so festive. Mm-hmm. I just love the taste. And they're not cookies that I would ever bake in like June. No. You know what I no mean? No way. They're like exclusively for the holidays. Absolutely. And I think that's why they seem most festive to me. Yeah. Uh, what I love to make for other people, I have this really great snickerdoodle recipe um, that people just love. And I like snickerdoodles a lot. They're not like my number one cookie, mm-hmm. but they do seem to be like the least common denominator. Uh-huh. <laughs> like everybody loves a snickerdoodle, even if it's not their favorite cookie. So they're like the perfect thing to bring to a party because everybody will have like one, mm-hmm. you know? Yes, definitely. I feel like that about like a chocolate chip cookie too. Mm-hmm. Yep, I know always. that's like a lot of people's favorite cookie Mine. and that's great for them. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a cookie that's very inoffensive. Mm-hmm. Like no one's going to be like, oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> right. How dare you? How you know? dare you offer me a chocolate chip cookie? Yeah, that's disgusting. I was but, hoping um, for a souffle. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, but I feel like chocolate chip is too boring for the holidays. Mm-hmm. We gotta like branch out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and it's also an all year round cookie. So again, yeah, it's like, yeah. no, do something special. Like it's mm-hmm. supposed to be specific to this season. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's okay. Good. So you have a nice cookie lineup. A- anything other than a cookie that you're considering? Um. So I I absolutely love cookies. So that's why I always make them, and they're also mm-hmm. so easy to bring to other people because so easy. Everybody can just like yes. grab one and whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I'm trying to think if I've made. I mean, I've made some pies that I really like. I have this recipe mm-hmm. for a bourbon dark chocolate pecan pie that I've made for the holidays um it's super rich but without being too sweet and that is always a winner yeah well that's the kind of thing too that that is so fun for the holidays because you can bring it somewhere Mm -hmm. it's not like you could ever make that for two people you would like die you know (laughs) because otherwise you'd never want to eat it again (laughs) right it would be like why did you just make the most decadent dessert possible for two exactly people. for two human beings yeah. and you're like well that's a great question i have no idea <laughs> it's like yeah i really only wanted a slice of this because it's like too rich to eat a half yes. a pie of in a week but Honestly. here we are so what are your favorite recipes um well my family has this sugar cookie recipe that's really good mm. it's kind Classic. of like yeah they're like a bit chewy but crisp and very thin and just kind of melt in your mouth Mm, and yeah so I'm gonna be making some of those for sure and then I also have this like I consider it a family recipe although I'm not sure where we got it from originally it's called um Swedish almond cake Mm. and there is like if you are Swedish, you probably are thinking of something in particular because there is such a thing as an almond cake from like Nordic countries. Mm-hmm. That's like just like a sponge cake. But this is almost like a bar cookie that's got like almond flavoring and it uses cream of wheat, that Ooh, like breakfast yeah, yeah. hot cereal. And it's very, um, it's like chewy and moist. Sorry, that's a gross word, but <laughs> applies. And then you top it with all, like almonds and uh, raspberry jam. Oh, oh my gosh. So it's kind of like a Linzer cookie flavor, yeah. but in different textures. And the cream of wheat inside the cookie or like the cake, whatever it is, it gives it this really 
unique texture that is so good. Oh my gosh, I bet that's amazing. It's so amazing. And like the inside stays really soft, but then the outside where it was touching the pan, because you like cook it in like a a cake pan, it gets all caramelized and crunchy. And it's so amazing. It's just the best thing. Um, Yeah. So I love that. And my family is also really good at pies. So I'll I'll probably do some of that too. But yeah, I just love holiday baking so uh, much. It's so much fun. And it's always yeah. it's fun to bake with a purpose in mind. Like, I mean, I love to eat my own dessert, so I'm of, not going to complain. Course. But it is no. fun to be able to share it with other people. I think that's one of the things yeah. I love about baking is sharing food. And it's like warm and friendly and uh, yeah. I don't know, some a kind of like a caretaking activity a little bit, it feels like, to like feed yeah. someone something delicious. Definitely. And I'm not that I like pine for the olden days or anything, but there's something so old fashioned and nostalgic about it to me that like, you know, packing cookies in a tin and giving them to someone for Christmas, it just feels like keeping some Mm -hmm. wholesome part of our lives alive in the face of like overwhelming technology and social media and stuff like that. You know, there's like a personal tenderness to it, I think. And like, yeah. I don't know just a, a warmth to handing mm-hmm. someone a baked goods that you'd like spent time on and they know that you yes. thought of them while you were making it and uh wanted to invite them to be a part of your holiday in a way that you know just sending a, a christmas card or something is not the same yes absolutely i totally agree so anyway thank you for indulging my little sidebar uh, always into i will holiday always baking. talk about cookies <laughs> I I knew that you would. I knew that you'd be there for me in this. <laughs> um, all right. So now that we've pre-gamed with baking <laughs> enough, I will tell you um, more about Eliza Dumay's essay on Sylvia Plath. So uh, Eliza's essay, or maybe I'll call her Dumay throughout since that's what I would do with him, Anne. So I will mm-hmm. be fair. <laughs> Dumay's essay on Sylvia Plath presents two apparent opposites. On the one hand, a woman who finds pleasure in baking, and on the other, a woman who writes openly about her interest in dying. Then Dumay argues that to view these things as contradiction is actually a lack of creativity on our part and overlooks our inherent complexity Mm. as people. So that's really, I think, what Dumay is trying to do in this essay is she's presenting these things that feel very contradictory, like someone who loves to bake and does this wholesome thing but also fantasizes about ending their life um those things don't seem to be compatible and yet they are because we as people contain multitudes and i think that's what dume is really exploring throughout the essay um we have more insight into what plath planned to bake or purchase at the store via her grocery lists and journal entries than we do into her writing process and dume goes on to reveal that the ways that baking but the that baking was just as much a part of Plath's writing as her struggles with mental illness. So I think the point here is we may long to have more insight into why Plath wrote what she did or how she felt about her own writing. And I think what Demay is trying to point out is that we actually do have a lot of insight into that because her quote unquote mundane life in grocery store shopping and planning meals for her family or baking actually had a lot to do with her writing. Yeah, this is such a fascinating take on uh, her life and her legacy. And I wonder, Mm -hmm. too, if one of the reasons why baking and uh, 
thinking about death or contemplating dying are seen mm-hmm. as these sort of polar opposites is because mm-hmm. baking is so gendered and women are yeah. supposed to be seen as these like perfect caretakers who you know, mm-hmm. never think about themselves at all. And so to contemplate your own death is to think about yourself in this very individualized way because we all mm-hmm. die, you know, as individuals, right? Like we don't do it yeah. communally usually <laughs> or right, like even if right. I guess you are doing it with other people, well, it's yeah. still not Some the same. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just feel like uh, that just makes me think about the gendered aspect of it, that like mm-hmm. to consider yourself an individual so much in that way of considering your own death goes against what women are supposed to be, which is servants to others. Right. And givers of life, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think it also just points out the way we as people like to categorize things in very clear terms in order to feel mm-hmm. safe. Like we would, you know, we uh, most of us, I assume, do not want the people in our lives to die, especially not by suicide. And so I think we categorize things like baking or doing quote unquote normal behavior as like, oh, that person mm-hmm. is safe. Like if someone likes to bake, they would never consider harming themselves. Um and I, I think that that makes complete sense because we want to be able to seek out definitive safety, but it isn't actually true. And people are so much more complicated mm-hmm. than that, especially in in their own mental struggles. And I don't think that something like ending your own life is like yeah, neat and tight. easily categorizable. Right, right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So... You can be planning things for the future and still decide to not no longer have a future. And those things seem incompatible, but they are or can be. I mean, even if you think about the words I used like 10 minutes ago to describe baking, it was all like warm and caretaking, like, you know, yeah, friendly. Totally. Uh, so, yes. yeah, I mean, I think we do have these uh, just connotations of activities, but it's also just true that uh it it's not always the case that external activities are an indication of internal monologues. And so thinking about mm-hmm. like, oh, this person did X, Y, Z, so they're not thinking this is like not a one-to-one at yeah. all. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and I think the reason we do that is because Uh, I mean, we, I don't think as people have the bandwidth to constantly be monitoring every person in our life to ensure that they're not, you know, going to harm Mm -hmm. themselves. But, and so we look for these things like, oh, they're, they're Mm -hmm. okay. They're okay. Because we, we actually can't constantly uh, scan for danger that much and have our Mm -hmm. own lives. Um, but unfortunately that isn't always the case that just because someone is inclined towards like certain activities or interests or is like doing things that we would consider productive or fulfilling that they can't also be, um, having like a really intense Mm -hmm. struggle. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, anyway, that's a little bit about, um, the start of the essay. And now I'm going to read a quote from it that I think will help us contextualize what we've just been talking about. So DeMay writes, we know from the dates on her entries, meaning Sylvia Plath's entries in her journal, that she made lemon pudding cake on the day she wrote Lady Lazarus 
in which she grapples with her own repeated unsuccessful suicide attempts. This is a quote from that, um, or this is a, oh, sorry, this is so confusing. So inside this quote from DeMay, there is a quote from Plath that says, dying is an art like everything else. I do it exceptionally well, she wrote, while beaten egg whites stiffened in the oven. In the process of drafting Death and Co., a poem as cutting and nihilistic as the title suggests, she prepped tomato soup cake, blood red and bittersweet. A signature recipe of hers, it requires, among other things, two cups of butter and one can of condensed tomato soup. Um, so I feel like we need to talk about that for a second, because what Well, the I mean, first of all, that kind of sounds delicious. I'm like, yeah, throw some grilled cheese in there and I'm, like, all in. Uh, I'm on. Um, I actually just heard about i think they were calling it um maybe depression era cake or something and it was essentially this where they used tomato soup to make a cake during mm. the great depression um because it was something that they could yeah. you know, find and there's like an inherent sweetness to tomatoes mm-hmm. and i i forget what they describe the flavor as um but i imagine it would be pretty delicious with two yeah cups of yeah butter. i mean can you really get that wrong with two cups of butter? I don't know. <laughs> seems no. pretty. It seems pretty I don't good. Think so. Yeah. It seems pretty great. Um, but anyway, this whole excerpt is meant, I think, to reveal the way that Sylvia Plath was doing two things at once, where she was able to have an interest in baking something delicious that she would enjoy or that she would mm-hmm. find comfort in while she was writing really quote-unquote dark things about her own Mm -hmm. existence and so although those that feels contradictory for and even if it is contradictory it can still exist inside one person yeah I I also think that there doesn't seem anything contradictory about using something that has very little to do with death and depressive thoughts as a coping mechanism for death Mm -hmm. and depressive thoughts you know right uh, i think we all have a a tiny bit of this experience all of us who really got into baking during the pandemic Mm -hmm. which was that sometimes an activity that is very innocuous can act as sort of a coping mechanism you know, yeah. you're, you have something to do with your hands, you are walking around, you feel like you accomplished something, mm-hmm. um, all of those things being very positive feelings uh, mm-hmm. to deal with, you know, kind of the dismay and destruction that might be happening around you or maybe internally. Yeah. And on like a, I guess, more scientific level, doing that type of thing where your eyes are moving, your hands are moving, you're like accomplishing something is all part of what helps us regulate our nervous systems. Mm -hmm. So if we are feeling distressed by, you know, the outside world or our internal thoughts, baking is something that could actively help you regulate your emotions. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that you would turn to it as a coping mechanism. Yeah. And Dume cites that in the article as well, saying that it is actually very understandable that if you were a, a tortured artist, you would have these coping mechanisms to go along with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have another few notes here that say Plath spent much of her time in the kitchen. So she would switch between wife, mother, housekeeper to the aspiring author or tortured artist inside of that space. You know, she wrote there, she baked there, she kept her house there. Plath had the capacity to both bake a tomato soup cake and write about wanting to die because these things were not actually unrelated. 
the pressures of domesticity plagued Plath and show up in her writing, but we also see the ways that a silken cake batter, the preparation for which is firmly positioned within the domestic sphere, provided comfort to her as a writer. Mm. So I think that is what Demay is trying to point out, that although these seem contradictory, they really have a close relationship to one another. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to read one last section from the essay that uh, I think helps to weave these two things together. Demay says, it's not lost on me that looking for cooking inspiration from a woman whose last great baking project was, well, her final act, is a questionable project. Whether or not we can joke about this matter is another complicated question. But for Plath, the stovetop was an altar of a kind, the kitchen a chapel. The whole room reeked of guilt, shame, wickedness, tomato soup, as restrictive as it was holy. Without being crass, then, her chosen death trap makes sense. The kitchen was the axis on which her whole world spun. It was where she wrote, stood, boiled, diced, longed, mourned, revised where she read rejection letters and published pieces, stored cookbooks, lists, novels, where she fell in love, out of love, baked a birthday cake, where she set out manuscripts and preserves to marinate, desserts to cool, dirty dishes to soak, write about the smell of vanilla flavoring in a brown bottle. That's where the magic mountains begin, she wrote in 1957. Four years later, we should have nothing to do but write and dream of strawberries and cream. Hmm. It's very understandable that the last moments of her life would have been lived in uh, in that space. And mm-hmm. she was obviously spending the majority of her time there, and it was connected to so many threads in her life. But yeah. there's also something so bitterly sad about using something that presumably brought comfort to her to mm-hmm. end her life. I know. I I was thinking the same thing. And if I'm honest, I I enjoyed this essay, but I did feel like it treats it with a little bit of lightness that I wasn't super comfortable with. Hmm. Just not like, I mean, I think it is like ironic, of course, that Plath, who baked a lot and writes about that, also chose to die by Mm -hmm. putting her head in her oven. Like there is a dark humor to that. But it's like, it makes me a little uncomfortable to treat it with lightness. Like mm-hmm. the the line that her final um, baking project was her final act or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that's like, I don't know. That yeah, just... or to almost revere it in some way. Like it's, it's beautiful yeah. and like that sort of concept that, you right. know, that look how beautiful this broken artist is kind of theme is or like look at how yes exactly it it, anything that makes someone's death especially by their own hands seem poetic is like Mm -hmm. well i don't know about that let's not let's not applaud yeah maybe don't glamorize it that doesn't Mm -hmm. seem like it's spreading the right message to others who might also struggle with suicidal ideation uh it's yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, I think it's fair that this uh, writer wanted to come to this with a sort of um, new perspective of, you mm-hmm. know, thinking through how these things are related and not completely opposite. But yeah, I do. I do think the like kind of poetic 
aspect does mm-hmm. come through as well. Right. Where And it's like, I think maybe a way that would have made me personally more comfortable is to approach it as rather than her Plath's death being an act of someone who was like at the end of their rope, which, you know, maybe that is what it was. Um, and she chose her death in this poetic way. Maybe a, a way to talk about it that is less glamorizing is to talk about it as intentional because I don't think mm-hmm. that anyone can argue that this choice wasn't intentional. Sure. Yeah. You know? Um, so I think that it, it, it lends the same kind of understanding to it. Exactly. Yeah. Without making it seem romantic, which yeah. it's not. Yeah. It, and I think you can talk about the fact that maybe, maybe this was Plath's way of completely removing herself from the narrative of the female existence in the 1960s, which was very narrow and difficult. And that she chose her death in this way as a statement against that. So you could argue that it was, like I said, intentional, but I just, I feel a little bit bummed out about it. Yeah, for sure. You know, poetic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand that. Um, So the last thing I wrote is actually hilarious because I was going to write a few sentences about Sylvia Plath herself and like when she died and everything. And then I, I stopped halfway through. So all I have written is Sylvia Plath died and that's how this ends. (laughs) Technically correct. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So anyway, good job, me. Congrats on finishing your homework with such mm, artistic flair. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but that's what I have for you. I hope you enjoyed this uh, little short episode. I don't have a pop culture pairing because I am famously bad at remembering to do that part. I actually was going to say that yes, uh, as a me from pop myself, culture Kate. pairing, <laughs> would love to just share with you a few recipes. I can put them in the show notes oh, and yes, uh, you know, that's not perfect. we don't have to share the family <clears throat> ones if that feels weird. No, I but think we can. Any ones that you want to throw in there, maybe we. We can share yeah. like two or three each or something. Yes, let's do it for and sure. And happy baking. Okay. <laughs> yes, happy baking. And I think we can all celebrate Plath's legacy and genius and talent through baking because I think she would appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you. Hi. This was lovely. I yeah. love this perspective and it's a completely different topic than we've covered on the podcast before, mm-hmm. which I always love. Yes, me too. And I think still securely within the realm of what we do here. (laughs) (laughs) TM. Um, Well, I hope you all join us next time for more of our bullshit. (laughs) 